Beloved Church of God, beginning our service before God, let us stand and affirm the promise that relates to the door of our hope. Let the resurrection of Christ reign in our bodies. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are grateful to your holy name for this privilege to be in this place that your hand has outlined for the worship of your holy name. And so allow your inheritance in the name of the covenant of blood to be lifted to unreachable heights to us and to break all evil and sin that binds us. May in this service be cursed as before all the works of devil illnesses, poverty, premature death, demonic dependencies, all forms of fears, depression, destruction, covetousness, ignorance, all of this, let it depart from the tents of your holy nation and stand, Lord, in the place of your rest, you and the ark of your greatness, and may your saints be clothed in your salvation, and may they rejoice before your countenance. Give us more from your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and allow us to find your holy countenance. May the service be presented into your divine arms. Guide it with your uplifted hand, Almighty God, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You may be seated. Thank you. 
The first book of Peter, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. According to this place of scripture, the fact that what is written here was not known by the former generations of the Christians, it wasn't known to the apostles. They, it was only known to them that there is something more enticing, great, that will be revealed, that is going to be revealed uh, during the last days. This is a kind of inheritance that must is going to do something in the church. And I want to pay our attention to what goal God had begotten us again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if this goal is going to somehow be distorted, then the silver of salvation expressed in rebirth of the resurrection through the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we had received as a deposit, it's not going to be able to be placed into circulation. Because in order to place into circulation, we must know the goal where we are, the goal for which we are placing this currency. We must seek unfadable riches that are kept in heaven for the children of God that are ready to be revealed to the end days through faith of those being saved. So if they do not receive a certain truth for it to become the faith of their heart, they can't do anything. They won't be able to accept this inheritance. Sometimes I ask people, with whom I grew up, I say, what, what about the truth of Revelation? They say, as we stood, we stay in this. This is unfortunate because the inheritance of God for the truth that is given to us, it is not given to us in that form. It is given it in order for it to expand. And if a person does not expand in knowledge in God, in knowledge in the promises, something's not right with him. He does not go anywhere. And today I see many of these people as lost they don't know what to do because in the beginning they were very 
spiritual they had relied on themselves. But then everything is gone. The church these days are a different format. They yell, scream, they run somewhere. People are lost. And of course, the truth is somewhere. Because those who run and those who are lost, they are two opposite sides, two polar opposites. Because both don't have a clear goal. Because the goal that they are running toward is evangelism or the use of the gifts of the Holy Spirit or the casting out of demons. And these aren't really goals. A goal is inheritance. The gift of the Holy Spirit were always even in the first church. The casting out of demons always was. But... The inheritance, incorruptible, that is being kept in heaven for us, it has never yet been. And emissaries of Mammon had presented this inheritance in decaying riches. In churches, there is calamity. We must be rich, they say. If we are not rich, this means that we have the spirit of poverty. We must cast out the spirit of poverty. And how do they do this? How they, do they cast him out? Who, and I was at a service like this before when we came here. It was enough for them themselves. One from Africa came and he said, who is going to give 10,000? Who is going to give 1,000? This was among the Russian charismatic community. He said, oh, you have the spirit of poverty. Let's pray in tongues so we can cast him out. Okay, who's going to give? Oh, not enough. All right, let's continue to cast out the spirit of poverty. I was present at this kind of service. I came to see. And after service, we had met up with this um, um African man, and he told me he spoke English, or excuse me, Russian very well. I think you know who he is. He's from Kiev. And I, he said, I heard that you talk or you preach about tithes. I said, and so? Do I say something incorrectly? He, he says, no, but you are walking a thin line. I said, what kind of thin line? What kind of thin line are you walking on that you cast out the spirit of poverty? I think this is already off the thin line. Then he said to those congregants that he had called, there were all who had came from Seattle, from here, all charismatic leaders. He said, before us is an apostle, a prophet whom we have not given enough credit. Let's acknowledge his anointing. Let's bow our, our heads and pray for him. I saw the rest of the people get, got lost. And when I had come out, he had said to them, remember one thing, we don't have charisma. He only has charisma. And if you acknowledge him, then you will lose all of your congregants. You, you must not accept him and tell your church that this is a delusion because to scream, to yell, to run, to cast out demons, this is not charisma. He has true charisma. He has wisdom. How strange. 
People see this, acknowledge this, but they don't follow it. Why? This always was. You think that the Pharisees and the scribes didn't see in Christ the Messiah, the Son of God? They saw. They knew who he was. They, according to Scripture, knew that this is the one that Israel had waited for thousands of years. And all of a sudden, he came, and they were shocked. He was not as they had illustrated. They thought that he was going to be sitting on a throne on earth as king, but he came and he was simply came as a preacher, as a prophet. Yes, he was from the house of David, and they understood that he began to preach that our priesthood must be different. Priests will be all now, not just the Levites, but every person who has accepted this teaching, he becomes a king and a priest. Of course, this didn't suit them very well, that everyone would be priests. And what did they do? They gossiped about him, and they crucified him. That which is done today, they acknowledge, they know, however, they gossip and they crucify. And this is our reward that we are being crucified, saying and singing songs about us. The word inheritance in the Bible, here it says, we are called to an incorruptible inheritance. This means to have riches that will be inherited by children from the death, after the death of their father, they become heirs. We should pay attention to these riches. They are going to be incorruptible and pure. Whereas all treasures and riches expressed in earthly goods and values are defined by Scripture, are unjust and corrupt, which Scripture offers to invest into circulation, which will transform them into incorruptible treasures. So how do we, by faith, open these treasures for them to be revealed? Through the honoring of God of tithes and tithes and offerings, we invest tithes and offerings with joy, and our goal are not to receive material goods, but incorruptible goods. When we do something, we pursue a goal. If we pursue the goal, the more you give, the more you shall receive. And this is preached in a lot of churches. When people honor God in tithes and offerings, they say, the more you give, the more you shall receive. But here, Apostle Peter offers us for when we honor God, for us to pursue the goal of receiving the incorruptible inheritance. Imagine, when you leave another country, when you enter it, you will never be able to return back to your former one. You have an opportunity before you go to a new country to exchange the currency to exchange your money to, into the currency of the country you're traveling or you're going to live on and to place it into a bank on your name.
And this is this country, this bank. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth nor rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Matthew 6, 19-20 When we honor God in tithes and offerings, the incorrupt incorruptible money that we offer to God as our tithes as a part of what we have earned. This was our wasted time and our energy. This was the part of our life. Understand that tithes are not just money. This is a part of our life. We have used our energy on it. And we place this energy, this part, in what? In order to do something, to get something, what? Incorruptible treasures. And thus, we place it into the heavenly bank. God did not say, transfer everything. He said, transfer a tenth. Give me a tenth. And from this tenth, I will make you the most known in the new heaven, in the new earth. No one is going to compare with you because the more money you have, the more glorified you are and the more opportunities you have on earth. The more you have in the heavenly bank, in the new heaven, in the new earth, the more you will be known in eternity. I know that God does this somehow. He places, he, he transfers into a heavenly currency, and he now gives us the opportunity to use part of it here on earth with this new currency, expressed in incorruptible riches that are called the promise that relates to the door of our hope. The adoption of our body through the redemption of Christ in the dimension of time. This is that inheritance, those great riches that are going to be a guarantee for our rapture and meeting with the Lord in the air when He will come to be glorified in His saints. We are going to honor God in tithes and offerings. We will sing a song together. Before your countenance, O oh my Savior, let us stand. This is usually that moment when we receive the opportunity to honor God in expressing before Him our love and acknowledging His authority and searching for the incorruptible riches. Incorruptible riches are also comprised of the fact that through these incorruptible riches we acknowledge our Heavenly Father. He gives us knowledge of Himself. This is a very important part. May the Lord bless us before your countenance, O my Savior. Я хочу ходить всегда, Чудный мой руководитель, Не оставь ты никогда. Перед лицом твоим спаситель, Да не вечно
Each time Israel had honored God with tithes and offerings, they were called to according to the words of Moses that he had received from God as a revelation to raise their hands over their offerings and to proclaim one unique proclamation they were faithful to for thousands of years. We, being that same Israel, tied to the same root, drinking from the fruit of the same olive tree, will do the exact same thing. Please raise your right hand, the symbol of your righteous action, and pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I have separated the tithes from my home and brought them into your home so that your home may have food. I did not give in sorrow. I did not give impurely, and I did not give for the dead. And I ask you, right now, may your heavenly windows be opened and your blessing come down abundantly upon your redeemed nation. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen, amen. Слова уже один. 
сидят Христа ученики и молча слушают учителя слова.
So if you have a Bible, you can open with me a familiar place of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verses 45 and 48. That contains a depth of wisdom, reward, conditions that God reveals for us so that we can receive a reward for our unique relationship with Him. So that you may be sons of your Father, who is in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called, Called to Perfection. In conjunction with our study of the path that leads us to perfection, we begin to study the path that leads us to God, our bridegroom, in the event that is the image of Rebecca's path to Isaac. And we begin to look at the signs presented in the Bride of the Lamb, whom Rebecca represents in the virtue of a lily of the valley, that we are called to look upon with the eyes of our heart or eyes of our faith so that we could form ourselves into an image of perfection inherent to our Heavenly Father. And for this purpose, she loved her nation, her household, and her former life to follow Eleazar to Isaac, her groom. Eleazar, who was presented in Scripture as an image of the Holy Spirit that came down on the disciples of the Lord on the day of the Pentecost to bring the small flock to perfection in Christ Jesus. We have noted that in our case, celebrating the Feast of the Pentecost is accepting the Holy Spirit in our heart as the Lord and ruler of our life instead of a high val highly valued guest. In this acceptance, we are called to bind ourselves to the Holy Spirit on the conditions that are set in place in Scripture so that we could be led by the Holy Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Not those who speak in tongues, but those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Romans 8.14 We can be led by the Spirit of God and not having speaking in tongues. And we can not walk with God having speaking tongues. A person who has not how to taught how to accept the Holy Spirit as the ruler of his life, he can never bind himself to the Holy Spirit, and consequently, he can never be led by the Holy Spirit. Because of this, he will lose his title as son that is expressed in salvation. Because being led with the Holy Spirit is tied 
to the title of a son. And I repeat, it is possible to speak in foreign tongues and to not lack any gifts, and at the same time remain carnal and lack the Spirit, and to go against everything that comes from the Spirit of God. This is what Apostle Paul referred to, to the Corinthian church, that they had no lack in any gifts, they used spiritual gifts, they spoke in tongues. But he said, Brothers, I cannot speak with you with the spiritual, but with those who are carnal as babes in Christ. He called them fleshly carnal who do not have the Spirit. Because they did not accept him as a Lord and ruler, but they accepted him as a guest. That's why guests, they don't live for very long. You were at a guest's house? As a guest, gather yourself and then leave it after some point. And so speaking in tongues and practicing gifts of the Spirit is a spiritual experience, but it does not make us holy and does not change the character that we inherited from the vain life of our forefathers. The cross is intended for this purpose. It is called to separate us from our nation, our home, and our carnal life in the face of the sinful man who is the manufacturer of sin. We have noted that when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, we receive a unique and fateful opportunity, and this is to either accept the Holy Spirit as the ruler of our life in order to receive power from Him and in Him to create total and complete separation from our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. So then, in the Holy Spirit and through the Holy Spirit, we could bring God fruit of verity in the subject of a godly life, carrying within it the resurrection of Christ. Or to accept the Holy Spirit as a valued guest and continue to remain dependent on our nation, our household, and our corrupt desires. Studying the revelation of the Holy Spirit that was received by the Bride of the Lamb through a keyhole in the image of the Jeru, and drops, we have noted previously that the keyhole through which the Beloved stretched His hand is presenting ourselves to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God for reasonable service. From this we can conclude that the image of the keyhole on the door of the heart of a man is the presence of Thumim in his heart, whereas the image of the hand of the Beloved that reaches through the keyhole on the door of his heart is the revelation of the Holy Spirit in the format of Urim. And to bring herself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, it is necessary for the Beloved to take off the tunic of her old man and its works. And we have already mentioned that in Hebrew, the phrase, I have taken off my tunic, means to rip the skin off a living animal. Therefore, the phrase, I have taken off my tunic, means I have allowed my skin to be ripped off so that in my distress I could lose my former life. That binded me to the genetic program of curse that I received through the vain life of my forefathers. Based on this, before a person is clothed in humility and receives the opportunity to acknowledge his guilt before the sons of his mother, as well as forgive the faults of the sons of his mother, it will be necessary for him to take off his tunic, his old man. And for this purpose, it will be necessary for his cross to work with the cross of Christ. Because the truth of the blood of Christ washes us from sin and in this manner clothes us into the justification of Christ. But it doesn't do the main thing. It doesn't divide us from the 
sinful man, and the sinful man continues and continues to create new sins. That's why the truth of the cross of Christ separates us from the factory of sin, which is our sinful man. In a certain format, we have already studied what the core of the cross of Christ is, what the core of our cross is, and how our cross differs from the cross of Christ, as well as on the foundation of which principles can our cross work with the cross of Christ. And we have stopped to study and examine the next question. On what grounds can we define that our cross is truly working with the cross of Christ and not his forgery? And these signs are called to be fruit of verity or fruit of resurrection in the fruit of the tree, yielding its fruit 12 times, bringing fruit each month. Where? In our heart. We have noted that the image of the cross of Christ is presented in 12 stones that lay on the bottom of Jordan, which marked victory over death, and the 12 stones that were taken from the bottom of Jordan, which marked victory over sin in the flesh. Whereas the image of our cross, where we die for our nation, for our household, and for our corrupt desires, is presented in the 12 stones on which the altar of the Lord was built. It was made out of 12 stones. The 12 stones of the altar show the pure goals and motives of our heart expressed in the readiness and strife to know the will of God, the good, acceptable, and perfect will. A living sacrifice presented on this altar, presented in the format of our prayer, is the means that is used to reach this pure goal expressed in the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And the first sacrifice that presented himself on the altar in the subject of the cross of Christ is Christ himself who revealed for us his living sacrifice as a path to inheritance contained in his pure blood. In the New Jerusalem, as well as in the Eden of our heart, which is our place of worship with God, the image of a living sacrifice on an altar out of twelve stones is presented in twelve pearly gates which express our stay in Christ through his trials. These twelve pearly gates and the subject of our stay in Christ and his trials is the key to entering the kingdom of heaven. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Luke 22, 28-30 The kingdom of heaven is expressed in inheriting eternal life that is presented in the tree of life, bearing twelve fruits in each tree, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree, which are for the healing of nations. So, you see that the leaves are not fruit. However, using gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the healing of nations. But God doesn't need this. God needs fruit. He needs a changed character. We, in a certain format, have already looked at the names of the twelve patriarchs that were written on the twelve pearly gates, which yield the principles on the foundation of which we must cooperate in the taking up of our cross with the cross of Christ, and principles which are a key to entering to the kingdom of heaven presented in our hearts as a tree of life. And so we have moved on to studying the fruits of resurrection and the fruits of the tree of life, bringing its fruit twelve times, a fruit brought each month. And therefore, the twelve pearly gates are a set of twelve principles which endow a living sacrifice. 
The twelve names of the patriarchs written on the twelve pearly gates are a set of twelve principles that were placed on the foundation in the taking of our cross with the cross of Christ. Together, the twelve pearly gates with the names of the twelve sons of Jacob on them are the keys to entering the kingdom of heaven that represent the measure of the price for the right to eat of the fruits of the tree of life, which in the Testament means the right to be clothed in the new man who was created by God, Jesus Christ, in righteousness and holiness of truth. And the twelve months of the sacred year, where the tree of life gave its fruit each month, are fruits of resurrection that are yielded in the images of the feasts and celebrations that occurred during each month of the sacred year, that in the body of Christ had revealed his revelation and angles of God's certain revelations. In a certain format, we have already studied the fruit of our spirit presented in the image of the fruits of the tree of life brought in the first three months of the sacred year. And we have stopped at studying the fruit of our spirit in the fruit of the tree of life of the fourth month, which we are called to bring to God to answer to the standard of perfection that is inherent to our Heavenly Father. The fruit of the Spirit in the image of the fruit of the tree of life of the fourth month of the sacred year and the tenth civil year, which coincided with the middle of June or July, this fourth month was called Tammuz. In Israel, on the seventh day of the fourth month Tammuz, a fast was observed in memory of Moses breaking the tablets of the covenant law. In this month, the inhabitants of the mountainous, mountainous regions began to harvest wheat. And the maturation of the first grapes began in this month, which coincided with the onset of the summer heat. So in practice, each feast was accompanied by some kind of harvest, or rather, was a harvest of some kind of crop. And we concluded that the breaking of the tablets of the law is an image of destroying the handwritten manuscript or doctrine that was against us with the teaching of Jesus Christ. The handwritten manuscript contained in the broken tablets of the law, which were against us, the Son of God, in the image of the face of Moses, took away from our relationship with God and nailed it to the cross, thus depriving them of the power of their rulers and authorities and imperiously subjected them to shame, tri triumphing over them with himself. We're talking about, of course, demonic rulers and authorities. Colossians 2, 11-15 In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without made without hands by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the death and you being dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of your flesh he has made alive together with him having forgiven you all trespasses having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us. He had taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. When he was resurrected, he resurrected already in a new form. When he died, he was destroyed. Uh, the tablets were those tablets that were made by God himself and the letters written on them were the work of God. And so if a person does not bring fruit of the new fourth month expre expressed in the broken tablets of the covenant law as proof that he and Christ Jesus died for the law of Moses so that he could live for God and live by God, then he will lose the salvation which he received in the format of a pledge. Galatians 2, 19-20, Apostle Paul writes, For I, through the law, died to the law, that I might live for God.
I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. In this event, we see the result of a confrontation in ourselves of two glorious, great, powerful, and tectonic laws. Tectonic is when they hit each other or when they are on the same path. This is the law that gives power to sin and the law that deprives sin of this power. Both laws are individually defined and together they represent the holy, eternal and unchanging nature of God and His saints. However, before we, with the power of the law that gives power to sin, die for the power of sin so that we could live for God, it is necessary to be born from the seed of the word of truth. How do you live if you have not yet been born? As it is written, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures, James 1.18. Only by being born from the seed of the word of truth, we stand before the opportunity and necessity to die to the law so that we could live for God through crucifixion with Christ. Based on this, we noted that we must distinguish the justification we receive at the moment of our birth from the seed of the word of truth, from the other kind of justification that we are called to receive as an affirmation of the justification we have previously received. So the seed is different from the fruit. There is seed of justification, there is fruit of justification. Because there exists a big difference between the seed of justification through which we are born of God from the fruit of the seed, in which, in which our justification brings fruit of verity and receives affirmation of righteousness. And to bring fruit of the tree of life of the fourth month, representing the kingdom of heaven that has descended in power in our heart, yielded by our justification in which we are called to bring fruit of verity, we will need to answer four classic questions. Specifically, one, what is the nature or root of verity? Out of what source does verity flow from? And what is justification? As well as, with what characteristics does scripture endow the word verity, justification, righteous, and righteousness? What purpose is justification supposed to fulfill, or how is justification supposed to manifest itself? What conditions are necessary to fulfill to accept justification and be clothed in righteousness, or in the resurrection of Christ? And according to what results can we determine that we have the tree of life in our spirit, which brings fruit in the fourth month, specifically fruit of verity? We have stopped to study the first question. What is the nature or root of verity? Out of what source does verity flow from? What is justification? As well as, with what characteristics does Scripture endow the word verity, justification, righteous, and righteousness? We have noted that the etymology of the words verity, justification, righteous, and righteousness in Hebrew contain very rich meanings because the meanings are revelation of who God is for us and what has He done for us and what must we do to inherit all that God has done for us. And so, in Hebrew, the term verity means holiness, law, covenant, justification, righteousness, lawful, fairness, commandment, statute, decree, court, justice, fairness. We're talking about the verity of God here. 
The verity of God is straightness, loyalty, truthfulness, consistency, duration, immutability, truthfulness, and truth. It is the wisdom, the light of life, honesty, sincerity, purity, resurrection of life, and freedom of Christ. And so justification in Hebrew means eternal redemption, ransom from the captivity of sin and death, abolition of guilt or not the imputation of sin, taken into the ownership and the lot of God, resurrection, resurrection from the dead. And the word righteous means holy, pleasing, pleasing to God, innocent, before the eyes of God, without blemish, honest, fair, free from oath, not bound by sin, dead to sin, alive for the truth, being in the covenant with God, trusting and hoping in God, pleasing and finding favor with God, he who honors God with tithes and offerings, being in God and rejoicing in God and propagating the fragrance of Christ. The word righteousness means hope and trust in God. Faith in the fact that there is a God and those who seek Him He rewards. Righteousness is peace with God based on the covenant with God, Righteousness is consecration of one's dedication. Righteousness is observing the justice of God. It is the phenomenon of holiness in the performance of justice. It is the phenomenon of immutable joy. It is remaining in your assembly. It is offering to God a sacrifice of praise. It is honoring God with tithes and offerings and is showing goodness in our faith. With these meanings, we highlighted the fact that to see these terms as legitimate legitimate with regard to man can only be done in the format and the boundaries of the service of justification, which is found and affirmed in the law of grace and withstands the service of condemnation in the format of the law of Moses. As it is written in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 6-11, He made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the mystery of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the mystery of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect, because of the glory that excels. For it, what is passing away was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. In other words, God's verity shown in the boundaries of grace is the law of the Spirit of life in Jesus Christ. And a righteous person is a God-fearing man who honors the law of grace, lives by the law of grace, and does not sin against the law of grace. We had to consider that verity is defined and finds itself in the holiness of truth. And it was necessary for us to determine the root of these two terms and what grows from this root. So that similar terms such as holiness, truth, and verity would not be seen as identical, although they resemble one another and they exist in one another. However, each one of them has definitive definitions and purposes that correspond to their essence. For example, according to definitions in Scripture, verity comes from the mutual root of the two terms holiness of truth. 
whereas a combination of holiness and truth reproduce themselves in verity the same way a father reproduces himself in his son or a seed reproduces itself in fruit. From this we know that holiness of truth is the root out of which God's verity grows in the heart of man. Therefore, holiness of truth defines the state of the heart of man, whereas verity is the expression of the state that is in the holiness of truth. This is the expression of this fruit. In this manner, verity is the holiness of truth in action or result of what holiness of truth reproduces. And so therefore, the authenticity of verity is always intended to be checked and affirmed by the source of its origin, or rather, the root of holiness of truth or the holy word of truth in Scripture. And to not find ourselves at a loss for words, it is necessary for us to take places of Scripture that determine the origin of verity from the root of holiness of truth, as well as the nature of verity itself, which yields the state of the right of a righteous man in his deeds. Justification in the affirmation of this justification, which we are called to receive in the broken tablets of the law that present the death of our Lord Jesus, will clothe us and lead us into the inheritance of God's verity. Concerning the fact that God's verity is first and foremost God's judgment or His justice, which is definition of good and evil and the separation of good from evil, then we, in a certain format, have already slightly looked at the characteristics of God's verity in the heart of man. And I'll remind you of the formula of these characteristics, and then we will further our study. The judgment of every verity of God revealed in the broken tablets is eternal and comes from the truth of the Word of God, which by nature is the source, root, and foundation of the judgment of every verity. The entirety of your word is truth, and every one of your voracious judgments endures forever. Psalms 119.160 We have noted that when we are referring to the word of God that comes from the mouth of God and determines the eternal essence of God, this is truth, and we must always know that first and foremost, it is holy truth that determines the inner state of the depths of God. Because God, according to His eternal, unchanging, and immeasurable natural essence, is first and foremost always holy. And therefore, every characteristic of God, including God's verity, which derives from His unchanging and natural essence of His truth, is always holy. Because of this, God's verity is first and foremost always holy, eternal, unchanging, and unconditional. The word holy, first and foremost, always refers to God. And the essence of this characteristics is in the fact that God, who is holy by nature, is always separated from sin and is not involved in the emergence of sin. Therefore, His love is first and foremost also His holy love, and therefore it is a love that chooses. God cannot love anything that is not holy in origin. His holy love is always proportionate to His holy hate toward evil and lawlessness. He unconditionally loves all of that which is holy in origin, and He unconditionally hates all of that which is lawless in origin. Your love, you love verity and hate wickedness, therefore God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness more than your companions, Psalms 45, 8. Apostle Paul mentions this place of scripture in 
Hebrews. Verity and wickedness are two programs that oppose one another. If they are not in a device which is a, which is a person or an angel, these programs cannot manifest themselves. God initially loves his holy verity in people and angels and initially hated wickedness in people and angels. Therefore, the carriers of wickedness, angels who do not maintain their virtue and people who do not love the truth and defile the sanctuary of their spirit are the vessel of his scorching and all incinerating anger. Whereas the carriers of his Holy Spirit who have kept themselves from being involved in wickedness and have obtained victory over death, they are the vessels of his mercy. As it is written, what if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy? which he had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. This is referring that God is... God, the wicked are so, so that the wicked, once they have become wicked, he does not give them opportunity to repent or become vessels of mercy. Why? You might ask, why does he do this? Because he, because when a person becomes wicked, he does not have ability to repent. He does, he was, wicked are those who have already known, who have already known him once. They have already crucified him once. So then how can they crucify him a second time if they have already once accepted justification, but then rejected it? That's why these people are headed to eternal perdition. They have made the choice themselves. They became wicked. To become wicked, you first need to be holy. And so, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of man is what we've already referred to, and I will remind you. Through the man of Jesus Christ, it condemned condemnation and erected the service of justification. Further, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of man is a majestic path of verity on which, in the heart of man, is the life of God, and on its path there is no room for death. God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of man is given by God to all who are offended for the truth in the path shown by Moses and in the deeds shown by the sons of Israel. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of man is the expression of God's grace that testifies of God's justification through belief in Jesus Christ in the heart of man. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of man is eternal verity that in the heart of a person is the law of God that comes from his truth and is built by God's truth. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as the program of God in the heart of man is the oath and unchangeable word of God that comes from the mouth of God and abides in the heart of those people through whom God shames the warring against him and justifies and glorifies all the tribe of Israel. So all worshippers of God, 
And we noted that the tribe of Israel refers to worshippers of God from every nation, tongue, and tribe that worships God in spirit and truth. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets as a program of God in the heart of a person is presented in the mountains of God and great depths in which God keeps the judgments of the righteous. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets in the heart of a person is the foundation of God's throne that is surrounded by his clouds and his darkness. God's verity revealed in the broken tablets is a presence in the human heart of the image of the Lord coming from Eden in the scarlet garments so majestic in his clothing acting in fullness of his power mighty to save. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the broken tablets is a personal fulfiller of God's intentions in the heart of a person, presented in the face of an eagle that is called from the east to give Zion God's salvation and to give Israel its glory. And now further, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets expresses itself in salvation when God remembers his mercy and his faithfulness to the house of Israel. The Lord has made known His salvation, His righteousness He has revealed in the sight of the nations. He has remembered His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Psalms 98, 2-3 For God to make known His salvation and to reveal His verity in this salvation, He had to remember His mercy and faithfulness to the house of Israel. The reason that could have caused God to remember His mercy and His faithfulness to the house of Israel was supposed to be the prayer of Israel. If Israel would not have prayed, God would not have remembered them. Israel was supposed to have a remembrance of their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the covenant that He had made with their fathers and to turn to God and to represent this covenant, that He has this covenant, there's supposed to be a memorial there. Moreover, He said, Exodus 3, 6-10, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This is Moses uh, turning to Moses. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. Look here, I have heard the cry and I remembered uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because in this cry, they proved that they are the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, with whom he had made a covenant. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come Come now, therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And so the memory that the sons of Israel had to keep in their heart was that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were their fathers. And this allowed them to cry out to God as the Egyptians oppressed them. And for God, this kind of remembrance allowed him to send Moses and deliver the sons of Israel out of Egypt. In this manner, God's verity as a program of God revealed in the program tablet, broken tablets finds its expression in those hearts that have evidence of their heritage through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
And for God, this gives him opportunity to remember his mercy toward the house of Israel, to show his mercy and to unveil his verity before all people. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets gives God the opportunity to form the light and create darkness, to make peace and create calamity for some. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. Isaiah 45, 7-8 Rain down new heavens from above, and let the skies pour down verity. Let the earth open, let them bring forth salvation, and let verity spring up together. I, the Lord, have created it. I am the Lord, I create this, he says. In this case, God's verity as a program of God, forming light and creating darkness, making peace and creating calamity, is able to create all of this solely through God's program device, which is a person who has built himself to be a fragrance of Christ. Only this kind of a person can be life for some and death for others. God, through man, creates all of this. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death, and to the other we are the aroma of life leading to life. And who is insufficient for these things? For we are not, as so many, peddling the word of God. But as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. 2 Corinthians 2, 14-17 To be a fragrance of Christ, which creates God's verity, it is necessary for the heavens to receive the command to pour down rain and for the clouds to pour verity. And the earth received the command to open, bring salvation, and for verity to spring up from the salvation. So the heavens that pour down rain and the clouds that pour out verity are messengers of God who are appointed by God to preach God's verity and salvation to his nation. The earth that receives these rains from the heavens and God's verity that pour out of the clouds is God's chosen remnant that has in their heart received the command from God to open the soil of their heart to accept salvation and grow verity. Deuteronomy chapter 32 verse 1 through 4 verifies this thought. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and hear, O earth, the words of my mouth. Let my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, as raindrops on the tender herb and as showers on the grouse. For I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. He is the rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are justice. A God of truth and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Deuteronomy 32, 1-4. So Moses referred to himself that he are those clouds those heavens that pour out verity. In this manner, God's verity that abides in the heart of man in the broken tablets of law give the soil of his heart the right to open and bring salvation in which verity can also sprout up from. For God, it gives the right to form light and create darkness, make peace and create calamity. Furthermore, 
God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets expresses itself in God's judgments in which we receive the right to exalt God and worship at His feet. Psalms 99.6 The king's strength also loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and verity in Jacob. Exalt the Lord your, our God and worship at his footstool. He is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests and Samuel was among those who called upon him. They called upon the Lord and he answered them. To worship at the feet of God means to accept over ourselves and to obey ourselves to God's representative authority. In this case, God's feet or footstool is represented by Moses, Aaron, and Samuel. Because of their prayers, God established his justice and executed justice and verity in Jacob, who is seen here as God's chosen remnant in the virtue of a king who loves the judgment that comes from God's verity. In this manner, God's verity in the heart of a person that contains the broken tablets of the law give a person the right to exalt God and worship at his footstool, for it is holy. And this gives God the right to establish his judgment and execute his justice and verity in Jacob. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets is a kind of justice and a kind of measuring line, a kind of scale that measures every thought, word, and action of man, and then a hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and water will overflow the hiding place. Isaiah 28, 17-18 Also I will make justice the measuring line, and verity the plummet. The hail will sweep away the refuge of lies, and the waters will overflow the hiding place. Your covenant with death will be annulled, and your agreement with Sheol will not stand. When the overflowing scourge passes through, then you will be trampled down by it. The justice that is set by God as a measuring line, and the scale that is His verity, are called, with their hail of truth, to destroy every refuge of lies, and with its water drown every hiding place of lies. This is the truth of God on the lips of his messengers who are posed by a congregation of people who look pious but have rejected the power of piety. This is what Apostle Paul says in Hebrews 4, 12-13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerning discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There is no creature hidden from its sight, from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. This is referring when... It always said, the written word. The written word is very valuable. But it act, this written word acts only when it begins to be alive. If it is, isn't alive, it will kill us. It is supposed to live in your hearts through the living word that is preached. When you listen to a sermon, this word is living. This is the seed. And when you accept it, then faith comes from hearing the word of God, not from reading. Reading is necessary, but faith comes from hearing the Word of God, from the living Word, the living seed. 
In this manner, the verity of God in the heart of man contained in the broken tablets of the law give a person the right to destroy in himself the refuge of lies and in the boundaries of his responsibility. And for God, it gives the right during his visit to pass among his people, striking with scourge, so that all those who refused to write his truth on the tablets of their hearts were trampled by the feet of those who allowed justice in themselves, the word of God to judge all the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets is the revelation of God's mercy from generation to generation, referring to those who fear Him, which in the format of God's verity is upon those sons who keep His commandment and remember His commandment so that they can fulfill it. Psalms 103, 17-18 but the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness or verity to children's children, to such as keep His commandment, covenant, and to those who remember His commandments to do them. Those who are able to keep His commandments are those who remember His commandments. In these words, we again meet people who keep His covenant and remember His commandment with the purpose of fulfilling them. To give the commandments of God in our memory is to write them on the tablets of our heart and to keep them in our conscience as a kind of legislative system. Specifically, to these kind of people is God's mercy referred to from generation to generation. And to them and their sons, the right is given to be clothed in God's verity and be carriers of His verity. And the category of people that refuses to use God's grace that is contained in the broken tablets of the law cannot keep God in their mind. Because of this, they will be betrayed by a distorted mind. Romans 1, 28-32 And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to be a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness. This is referring to the people of God. They are the people of God, but they have not remembered His commandments. It is written, they are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. In this manner, God's verity that is in the heart of man and contained in the broken tablets of law gives a person the right to keep God's covenant and remember His commandments. And for God, it gives the right to fulfill His covenant in His established time, in limits and by a method that is only known to Him. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets is peculiar to those who are perfect, whose senses are accustomed to discriminating between good and evil. Hebrews 5, 13-14 For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of verity, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. As you see, if a person is still a babe and he does not turn into a category of the nature of Christ, he will he will he will die because he will 
think evil is good. Based on these words, God, verity, man is the ability to distinguish good from evil. We are talking about the ability to define the source that comes from our thoughts and our desires. Oftentimes, people might have thoughts, desires, they think, oh, this is from God, oh, this is from the Lord. Because desire to pray, desire to evangelize, the desire to do something, look to whom you're giving it to, look who are your blessing, who is he? Maybe he is a vessel of wrath, maybe we shouldn't bless vessels of wrath. So that way, along with the vessels of wrath, we would receive retribution. That's why, based on these words, God's verity man is the ability to distinguish good from evil. And this kind of ability can only be mastered in one case. When a person leaves infancy, where he was unable to define what verity is and what evil is, because he drank milk and he did not eat any solid food. What is solid food? Solid food is when a person, let's, let's understand this. Solid food is when a person, upon hearing the word of God, begins to meditate or digest what he has heard. Milk, milk isn't, di isn't chewed, milk is swallowed. But when you begin to chew, to digest, to meditate upon what you heard, that means that you are beginning to eat solid food. But milk food is when a person has no need to meditate on what he has heard, whatever that word may be. Therefore, he has no need to digest what he has heard because he seems to have understood everything. So, we meditate on things we do not know about. Solid food is when we hear, but we don't understand everything fully. And when someone begins to become angry that he can't understand, God leaves this person. God wants a person to calm down. He begins to chew and begins to meditate. What does this mean? to, with trepidation, receive the word and say, Lord, where do I go? You have the mysteries. People have left because they don't understand. They said, many disciples have left Christ. And he said, do you want to leave as well? They said, no, Lord because you have eternal life. And he said to them, Blessed are you, Simeon, for my Father is in heaven. Look what solid food is. It's the Word of God. When you know the Word of God, you know that you've accepted the Word of God. Yes, you do not understand it, but you under realize that this is the Word of God. So accept it and think about it. Meditate on it. Meditate is when you chew, and when you begin to meditate, God will unveil it to you. This is what solid food is. In this manner, God's verity that is in the heart of a person in the broken tablets of the law give a person the right to meditate on the revelations of his Urim. And for God, it gives the right to unveil what is good and what is evil in the revelations of his Urim. If he is saying something to you, it doesn't mean he doesn't want to reveal it. He wants to reveal it, but not how you want it to be revealed to you, not how you are used to it not like this. He wants you to meditate, for you to carry this child. When you give birth to a baby, he cannot walk nor talk. He must be disciplined. He must be fed. Accept this word of God like you care for a baby. Do not throw it out. Do not yell, I don't understand anything, and do not be angered. 
If you want to eat solid food, leave infancy and turn to solid food. Furthermore, God's verity revealed in the heart of a person in the broken tablets is defined by walking before God in accordance with His regulations and statutes that we must know through instruction and faith from those people whom God has sent so that they could teach us and to interpret for us commandments, statutes, and decrees. Genesis 6-9. This is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man, perfect in his generation. Noah walked with God. In these words, being just and perfect is the result of walking before God. To walk before God is to walk in accordance with the conditions of the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Second, to walk before God is to not depend on our nation, our household, and our desires, but to be dependent on God. Three, to walk before God is to look upon the unseen reward and meditate on the laws of the Almighty. Four, to walk before God is to place the pledge of our salvation into circulation, or rather to sow ourselves into the death of the Lord Jesus. Five, to walk before God is to build ourselves into a spiritual dwelling, a holy place, so that we could bring spiritual offerings that are pleasant to God, Jesus Christ. Six, to walk before God is to not avenge for ourselves, but to give place for the wrath of God. 7. To walk before God is to firmly hold on to boldness and trust in God until our departure from this life. In this manner, God's verity that abides in the heart of a person in the broken tablets of the law give a person the right to walk before God, and for God it gives the right to view man as just and perfect in his nation. Furthermore, God's verity accepted and abiding in the heart of a person through the grace of God in the broken tablets of the law is defined by the reaction to being persecuted for verity's sake, expressed in joy and exceeding gladness. Matthew 5, 10-12 Blessed are those who are persecuted for verity's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they have persecuted the prophets who were before you. In these words, being persecuted for verity's sake will come from synagogues, the image of which today are religious assemblies that oppose truth and verity that are in Scripture. Their understanding of verity has no relation whatsoever to true Scripture. To be persecuted for verity's sake is the privilege of few, or rather, the chosen, who, when persecuted, accept this as joy and gladness and as a sign of God's favor. Acts 5, 40-41, And they agreed with him, and when they had called for the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. But they could have gone to the Roman judge, and they could have, the Romans could have, could have judged the priests how many Christians do. Whatever you instruct them, they automatically go to the judge. Almost everyone whom I excommunicated, they went to a judge so that they would sue me. But of course, they didn't receive anything because American law favors that when a person becomes the member of a church, 
He knows the Constitution and the decrees of the Church, but in our Constitution is written that a pastor has the power to excommunicate and to put people and take them away from their service, how he sees fit. That's why it is impossible to sue me for these things. But those who didn't write in their Constitution, they did not write it on purpose to show that they are tolerant. Everything is okay here. We love everyone. And then when there is not order in the church, they can't have order because people who sue them then win. This is unfortunate. In this manner, God's verity that abides in the heart of a person and the broken tablets of the law give a person the right to rejoice and be glad for the chance to be with Christ in his trials. And it gives God the right to pl place a re great reward in the accounts of those who have been persecuted for verity's sake. Furthermore, God's verity accepted and abiding in the heart of a person through the grace of God in the broken tablets of the law is a result of a mutual attraction between man and God and God and man in which the seed of verity was planted in the heart of a person through listening to the gospel word. So we're defining what God's verity is. God's verity is a mutual attraction between man and God and God and man. Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you and your verity to the upright in heart. Let not the foot of pride come against me and let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. There the workers of iniquity have fallen. Psalms 36, 10 and 12. It's interesting that in Hebrew, the, he the verb continue means sow, pull, take out, siege, seize, take, take away, extend. So according to these words, for the foot of pride to not come against man and for the hand of the wicked to not drive him out of the limits of his salvation, for man it is necessary for God to extend to him his mercy so that he could entice him and take his heart as his possession and fill it with the revelation of the seeds of Urim. And for God, it gives him the right to allow man to present evidence to him that shows that this person knows God and that his heart is a right before God, which means that his heart contains an undamaged truth in the format of his thumim. In this manner, God's verity that is in the heart of a person containing the broken tablets of the law gives God the right to show the revelation of his urim so that on one hand, a foot of pride could not step on him and a hand of the wicked could not drive him away. On the other hand, so that in, in this opposition, a righteous man could get up and resume the battle against evil and all those who do iniquity fell and were brought down so that they could not get back up. For righteous man may fall seven times and rise again, but the wicked shall fall by calamity. Proverbs 24:16. You see, this is referring to a kind of battle where a righteous man will win as if he is in calamity. So when you proclaim some kind of word and you begin to feel that you have said this incorrectly. It isn't according to your rank. It isn't, what must you do? You must return this word and say, I, I take my word back. I don't agree with it. And that's it. You won the battle. You don't need to go repent somewhere. 
You just need to say, I take my words back. Of course, you have said this word towards somebody, you're supposed to say, I'm sorry, I take my words back, I didn't say this correctly, I don't agree with what I said to you, forgive me. That's it. It doesn't matter if this person will forgive you or not. The important thing is is that you return this word back. Christ is joyous when you understand this principle. He will rejoice. Do you remember this moment? According to the... In the word, when God said, when he said, come, uh, heal my servant, God, Jesus said, I will come. And he said, Lord, although I am under authority, return to me, and it is written, return to me. And he returns. So just tell me the word, and my servant will be healed and Jesus was astonished in Israel I didn't find anyone as faithful go your servant is healed he came and those said that the servant has been healed and he asked at what time and they said at six o'clock the man understood and he realized that it was at that time when Jesus said go your servant is healed what does this mean it means that we can return our words we do not need to wait for Sunday so that we can repent for these words why do you need to be a, a slave for a whole week you need to immediately return your words seven times falling seven times is God's fullness not literally seven times as many times as you fall you get right back up Jesus Christ only a perfect person can control his tongue but when we begin to behave ourselves in this manner we begin to become perfect because God imputes to us his righteousness when we look at God's redemption and we see that in the tablets of the law God does not impute sin for us for we do sin he does not impute it when when we get right back up if we do not get back up as a wicked he falls and he doesn't get back up then of course what God has done in the broken tablets it doesn't relate to us it relates to us when we get up get up and get up and each time we get right back up, we win the battle, battle after battle. Satan says, your life is full of calamity. And you tell him, devil, you are a liar. My life is full of victories. Each time I know how to repent when I fall. I win. Furthermore, God's verity accepted and abiding in the heart of a person through the grace of God and the broken tablets of the law is an image of God's divine thumim which gives God the opportunity to reveal his revelation in the format of his urim. Psalms 17, 1-3 Hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry, give ear to my prayer which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. You have tested my heart, you have visited me in the night, you have tried me and have found nothing. I have purpose that my mouth shall not transgress. 
a very unique place of scripture that unveils God's love in the broken tablets. To receive an answer to his prayer in the format of Urim, David presented evidence to God that were contained in his heart in the format of the meme. The lack of verity in the heart, which represent an image of divine Thumim in the heart in the broken tablets of the law, will place our prayer outside of the law and gives God the right to hear and answer our prayer in the revelation of his Urim. If we have Thumim, this God gives God the right to answer through his Urim. Evidence of the verity that was in his heart in the format of Thumim, David presented God with an argument that allowed God to test his heart for the presence of this verity and visited him at night with the revelation of his Urim and he found that his thoughts did not depart from his lips. In this manner, God's verity that abides in the heart of a person that contains the broken tablets of law, when a person presents this before God in his prayer as the faith of his heart, this will give God the right to answer to this verity with the revelation of his Urim. Furthermore, God's verity accepted and abiding in the heart of a person through the grace of God in the broken tablets of the law gives God the opportunity to bless not only the righteous but their descendants as well. Psalms 37, 25-26 I have been young and now am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. This is, he is ever merciful and lends, and his descendants are blessed. This is one of the most comforting promises that is given to a righteous man whose, unright, whose righteousness is defined by deeds of verity. We can call ourselves righteous, but this does not yet mean that we are righteous. To be righteous, we must first be justified, and only then we can receive the right to receive the revelation of a ream in our heart, which is verity, and what deeds can we do according to the revelation of God, in God, and by the power of God. Luke 19, 8-10 Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have nothing, and I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is, was lost. But what? Not all, but only those who get up and say, When I met the truth, O Lord, first, God meets those who want to see Him, who, who desires come to me and drink. Do you remember the story of Zacchaeus? That he searched to see God. He was a sinner, but he searched for God. And he knew that Christ was going to come down this road and that Christ was going to be difficult to come near. He wanted to see with his own eyes, to look at him. He climbed up a tree and he waited for him. And then the gathering walked by. And when Christ had come, was walking by, he said, Zacchaeus, he said to him by name, come down. Come down, quickly. I am coming to you. Do you see? Those who desires, that he who desires. That's why some people say, God loves all those who 
are headed to perish. No, God loves all those who are lost, who desire salvation, who are searching for Him, and who are ready to pay the price for salvation. He stood when Christ came into His house. He made a full table. He came to a sinner's table. How could He do this? Basikia stood and said, Lord, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So those who are from Abraham, but they have become lost. When we accept our justification and salvation through our belief in Jesus Christ, salvation comes upon our home. He said to him that salvation has come to this house. But if we do not pledge, put the pledge of our salvation into circulation, which is in the fact that we have left our nation, our household, and our corrupt and fading desires of the flesh, we will lose our salvation, and therefore we will lose the promise of salvation of our household, in other words, for our descendants. In this manner, once God's verity that abides in the heart of a person contained in the broken tablets of the law, it is presented before God in the format of our salvation, and it gives God the right to bless a righteous man and his descendants. Furthermore, God's verity accepted and abiding in the heart of a person through the grace of God and the broken tablets of the law keeps near all those who call upon God in truth and through their prayers He destroys all of the wicked. Psalms 145, 17-20 The Lord is righteous in all His ways gracious in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. For God to protect all who love him and destroy all the wicked, he needs to, he needs the right which he could receive through pairs of the category of people who love him and who hate the wicked. Because the manifestation of every verity of God and all of His ways and all of His grace and all of His deeds is supposed to be preceded by prayer of those who love Him, who give Him the opportunity to act in them and through them on planet Earth. And so, love toward God in this place of Scripture is defined by the right of this nation to call upon God in truth and unveil their desires before Him in His fear. Righteousness in all his ways, in his grace, and all of his works is expressed in that he is near to those who call out to him in truth, and the desires of those who fear him he fulfills. He hears their cries and saves them. From this, we can note that if a person says that he loves God but does not know how to call out to God in truth, then this means that this person does not have love toward God and is going to be destroyed with the wicked. If a person says that he loves God but cannot represent evidence that he has the fear of the Lord within him, then this means that this person does not love God and is going to be destroyed with the wicked. 
In this manner, when the verity of God in the heart of a person containing the broken tablets of the law is presented before God in the format of calling upon God in truth, God hears him and fulfills his desires and saves him. The desire of those who fear the Lord, they express God's love, and only kings and priests can call upon God, because to call upon is to come and to hear what God will say. I will hear what God will say. This is what it means to call upon God. This means to prepare our heart to hearing the word with the purpose or with the attention of immediately fulfilling all that we hear. And so, we have even wider learned about what God's verity is, that we are supposed to be clothed in in the face of our new man. All of these different things that we heard, they are supposed to be present in our new man. Obviously, you cannot memorize all of this. Don't be afraid. But you're supposed to. But you're supposed to chew it. And when you go to cell groups today and you talk about it, then at this time, all of this information will become go subconsciously in your mind. But the depth of God's wisdom can be kept in the heart. The mind isn't possible to keep this. It can keep little. Don't be afraid that you don't remember everything. When you accept it and when you think about this, it will go into your spirit and at a time that is needed it will come out from your spirit when God spoke with his apostles that the spirit of God will come and teach and instruct God will remind you from that which is in your spirit not that which is in the scripture because if you remind you what is in the scripture you don't know it because you haven't placed it in your spirit that's why I do not be afraid because I understand that many people they have uh, maybe this feeling of fear how can we accept this information but God is so great how can we fit it all in and scripture says it, you can't fit in your heart God created the heart of man in a way that it can fit God in all of this glory and all of this depth and wisdom do not be afraid but approach this with faith and begin to study begin to meditate this is solid food May we bow our knees and pray, and may the Lord bless you in this prayer so that you could be free from all false fear, from all shame, from all complexes, so that you can accept the promise for your home, illness, and freedom from any kind of illnesses, dependencies. And may the Holy Spirit is in this place to begin to clothe you into His verity and the resurrection of His Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. May we pray. And all those who desire to be free and to call out to fear, God is here to help you. Amen. I will pray along with you with your prayers. Your eyes closed, an element of your mystery room, your hands raised to the heavens. This is boldness. This is the right for the authority to receive from God His justice, His healing. Pray along with me. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my fear, with my sin, with my shame, with a wound in my heart, I ask you, cleanse me, wash me, heal my heart, cover my shame. I unveil my heart for the seed of your word. I accept it as the Lord and ruler of my life. And right now, before heaven and earth, I want to proclaim that according to your word, I am washed. I am cleansed, I am healed, 
I am renewed. I am justified. I am saved. Amen and amen. Your transgressions are forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you and may he shine down upon you with his holy face. May he have mercy upon you and give you peace. May among you thousands of hundreds of your enemies fall and may they not come near you. May the blessings of all valleys and mountains come upon you. May your illnesses depart from you and may the healing of God come upon you, on you and on your descendants, and may they be fulfilled in you. And may the nation say, Amen. And now each of us together will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.